This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Extangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe and practicing social distancing and sheltering in place as much as possible as we all work to defeat this pandemic. Please stay safe wherever you are, and I hope that this show can be a relief or a comfort to you in some small way. My guests this week are Micah and Keely Suddeth of the Backsliders podcast and YouTube series. In this conversation, I get to learn a little bit about both Keely and Micah and how they met, as well as their backgrounds and what led them to developing this particular series and podcast. Uh, the series is a is a comedy series that is very funny on YouTube, and I really enjoyed it. And just listen to the conversation to understand why. You can find their series over on YouTube by searching for Bob Billiams or Backsliders. Links for the show will be found in the show notes. This episode was produced and edited by Jake Lewis. Thank you very much, Jake. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at brchastain. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at exvangelicalpod. If you want to support the show, you can do that by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, supporting it on Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod, or by subscribing to my newsletter, The Post-Evangelical Post, at postevangelicalpost.com. All right, let's get into it. everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guests this week are Micah Sedith and Keely Cope Sedith, both from the Backsliders web series and podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us, Blake. Yeah. You nailed our names. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I always like being able to do that. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. I had the pleasure of being on your show uh, uh, just recently, and I'm Happy to have you on mine and learn a little bit more about both of your stories as well as that led to your development of backsliders. Now, I do like to start the show by just learning more about the guest's background and especially their sort of religious background and where they initially grew up. So let's start with you, Keely. Uh, Where did you first grow up and what was your first exposure to religion like? Yeah, um, I grew up in Texas, and um, when I was four years old, my my parents divorced. But I think prior to that, and this is something I haven't really thought about until recently, we were a church-going family, like pretty regularly. My parents were Catholic at the time, but then after they divorced, my my father became Lutheran again. If if you can become Lutheran again, Lutheran again, <laughs> <laughs> and. I lived with my mother, and I think when I was younger, we went to Mass more frequently. But then in junior high, I don't know if she just got tired of never having a day off because she also worked full-time or if she was just feeling like we should go to church less. We just started going to Mass pretty much on holidays only. Um, And then I guess I don't really have memories as a child of – being that into Catholic mass, I kind of thought it was boring, you know, like stand Mm -hmm. up, sit down. And I thought it was weird that I had to speak to a priest man and tell him what I felt bad about. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember, you know, I was taught that that was an important part of being Catholic, which was the right way to be. So I did it. Um, I like had my first communion and everything, so I had to go to classes for that, but never really felt that excited about what they were teaching and never really felt that connected to how they were talking about God. Um, And then when I was 14 years old, I got invited by a friend to a mega church. It was it was an Assemblies of God church, but I think they also called themselves non-denominational. 
I'm not sure, but it was not a nomination. Was going around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> they the got hit they cut phrase. that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just kind of blown away by what was happening there. It was so cool. It was a whole production, a worship band, like lyrics on screens, people jumping up and down for Jesus, like this really cool hipster youth pastor talking about how, you know, God is your dad and you can talk to him and like he wants to know you and love you, which really hit home for me because my parents had been divorced since I was very little and I didn't have a great relationship with my father and I just never heard God talked about the way that they talked about it. And my friend was like on fire and she kept in, inviting me back. And, and um, eventually I had, you know, I answered an altar call and gave my heart to Jesus, which was weird for my mom because she thought by me being baptized as a baby in the Catholic church that, you know, Jesus was already in my heart. So what, what was I doing? But mm-hmm. for me, it finally became like very personal and really in hindsight gave gave me what I was looking for, which was I was looking for community and structure um, and messages that resonated with me and gave me a sense of purpose and made me feel loved. Um, My mom is also bipolar. So my childhood living with her and her being my only, you know, day-to-day parent, it was kind of tumultuous um, because she obviously, there were highs and lows and, um, not a lot of stability. Uh, so I really found, I found that in, in this mega church and I kind of devoted all of my free time to this community. And at first it was awesome. And I made a lot of new friends and people believed in me and were encouraging me and and telling me that I was a leader. Just, it kind of felt like, you know, an extended family, um, Mm -hmm. um, with uh, a strong support and love that I was looking for. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I, the small group that I was a part of, there was a leader who was at first, he was just like this really awesome guy who was, you know, praying for me and, and, uh, very encouraging of my faith. Um, but I didn't know that he was essentially grooming me because he had a particular interest in me And, um, once I was 17, I entered into a relationship with him, but I didn't realize that I had been manipulated into, into that. Mm -hmm. And, um, no one within the church talked with me about it and, um, kind of looked out for me. Um, and so I had a very weird, I was, I was just in this really weird spot where I really loved God and, and cared about my spirituality, but I was also being pressured into this sexual relationship with this youth leader who, who was also feeling very shameful about what we were doing. So I, I became very disconnected and, and felt alone and also controlled, um, not only by this person, but this system that I didn't realize I was a part of where I'd kind of given up my power and my autonomy. Mm. Um, So I ended up ending this relationship and didn't really know what to do. I'd graduated early and was kind of lost. And I I still felt like I needed to like find my way back into like a good standing with God. So I went to a Christian university for my freshman year. And it was there where I really felt sorry, we've got like a dog fight going on outside. Um, it was at this Christian university where I think I, I was away from home and I was living in this very controlled environment that mm-hmm. really paralleled how I, I think I was feeling in that relationship. And I just started asking questions. I was like, why, why am I letting myself be pressured into being different than who I really am? And, uh, I'm an artist and an actress, so I was in the theater program at this evangelical college, and what they were teaching as, like, what we were supposed to do as artists was basically, like, relay these cookie-cutter stories and play these Disney characters, and there was certain work that was appropriate for us to perform 
norm and all this that were off limits. And I had always been uh, attracted to stories that were messy and ugly and, and characters that were imperfect. So I think that kind of sterile environment when I was really needing to express my creativity made me start to like buck the system and question why I was uh, participating in uh, religion and uh, an environment that was trying to put me and God and art in a box. And so I was kind of just like, fuck it and started rebelling within this very Christian environment by like bringing in scenes into class from spring awakening, like a BDSM scene and like really making uh, professors uncomfortable. And then after that, I, um, kind of swung the other way. I, I left that college and went to uh, Texas State University where I finished school. And I ju- I was an atheist and really learning like, what do I believe? What's right and what's wrong? And how do you find that outside of religion? And And now where I am today, like we're living in LA and through therapy and kind of coming back to my own sense of spirituality Mm-hmm. I, I'm no longer an atheist, but I I believe that we're all connected, and I believe in um, I believe we all have divinity within us, and that I don't necessarily think any religion can define it. And a lot of the times, at least in my personal life, and for a lot of people that I know, religion has gotten in the way of people being themselves and feeling like they can be loved and accepted as they are. And Mm. that's, you know, a very short version of this path (laughs) that was not straight. That was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I mean, there's so, so much happened to you in in the space of, of those few years. And I'm sorry that that church didn't have the safeguards in place to not have you experience those things. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, trying to convey how you, how you feel and how you feel sorry for someone and like, and not being some sort of pandering way or insufficient. Um, I'm sorry that that happened and that that is the sort of thing that can happen in those environments. And it's not right in any regard because that person was supposed to be there to foster your spirituality and they groomed Mm -hmm. you instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so much to your story besides, besides that part. I, I want to return to to how the arts played a part because that's something that has been part of your life up until now and what you're mm-hmm. doing. You, I think you used some really interesting words there in regards to saying that it was sort of sterile uh, and that mm. the accepted sort of stories, whenever you were in those spaces, either in the, the youth group or that mega church or in the subsequent Christian college experience that you had, were they always sort of trying to have you tell stories that could become like sort of Christian morality tales? Is that sort of the, the drive there? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think also what would happen is just, um, archetypes and certain archetypes that, you know, are appropriate for women to portray Mm. and, and then those for men. And I think that, um, what I experienced like in the Christian environments that I was in was that there was a right way to be a Christian girl or woman. And, you know, there are all these warnings of, uh, what non godly women were like. And so I think, yeah, in those environments, in terms of the stories that they were interested in us playing, it was like, you were either, leading people to God or, you know, you're not. And that's the point of every story. But in reality, it's so weird to me now because I look at the Bible and I'm like, there's so much fucked up shit going on in the Bible. So it's so (laughs) ironic to me that it's, it was these Christian environments that were trying to sterilize stories and say what was appropriate or or what would be good for people to to see or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, you mentioned that like your home life was unstable. Was that the the main draw was this, was that youth group culture in and of itself had an appeal of a lot of affection and a lot of stability. Was that the, was that the draw for you? 
Yeah, I think stability and purpose were the draw. I had had been been like since I was a little girl, since I was like six, I had been involved in community theater and things like that. And I had found groups of friends there and some support and encouragement. And um, I had kind of stepped away from that in junior high high because theater wasn't cool. And I had to be an athlete (laughs) for a little bit to fit in. And so this (laughs) <laughs> which did not work out because I'm really not that coordinated. Um, She's not. <laughs> even though there are a lot of athletes in my family. I was, I was always the artistic one. It was for a reason. It was because I loved it. And it was also because I'm, I'm not very good at um, coordination. But um, I was coming out of that. I was 14, starting high school. And I think I was just kind of lost. And um, that megachurch community gave me encouragement to pursue what I loved. Like I joined the production team on in the church. I was mm-hmm. on the worship team and I kind of was like remembering, oh, I love art. I love expressing myself this way. And I loved the validation that God had given me these gifts. It was the fine print that, you know, I get right away that eventually really bothered me and made me feel mm-hmm. confined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Did I answer your question? No, that was great. Yeah, and I think that that I I think what you said there near the end about it being fine print that is <laughs> so so very true and like it's it's all those sorts of things that are going on just beneath that you're not necessarily aware of especially when you're that mm-hmm. young, you know? Um and it's almost yeah. it it's not it's not right that that you, that you would expect someone that young to be that sort of aware um, of yeah, all those different dynamics. You're so impressionable. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Keely, for for sharing that. I will come back, and I also want to hear about how you two eventually met. But Micah, what's your initial origin story, and how your your initial religious life or or family life that that played a role in in your youth? Yeah, I um, you know, I've been unpacking it for for a while, and I feel like the older I get, the more and more questions I have for where I came from and and what shaped me because it wasn't uh, a typical domination of a Christian church that many people would know about. Um, my parents met in a ministry or a movement or a institution, research center, whatever they wanted to call it in the 70s, called The Way. Um, My mom was in a touring um, band that was called The Joyful Noise, and my dad was the assistant for the leader of this um, movement uh, named Victor Paul Wuerl. And it was a charismatic movement. Um, they felt like they had the corner on the market of the biblical translations. Hmm. Um, I, I would say that that was their, their, their claim is that, you know, even the King James version, which they swore by had its flaws and I'm sure it does. Um, but that's how they sold people on, you need to learn what we know about the Greek and Hebrew. Um, it led them to not believe in the Trinity, um, which is kind of a mainstay in Christian <laughs> uh, religion. Yeah, historically, yeah, uh, it has been. <laughs> yeah, so they they were. I was raised to not believe in the Trinity. I was raised to not believe in the cross. Um, wow. That it was a tree, a straight up and down tree. And this was very important that I knew this. It's the details. And um, it was important that I knew there were four men on the side of him as opposed to two that we usually see in the paintings. Mm -hmm. It was important that I knew um, that David and Goliath, that David hit him in the shin with a rock, not the forehead. Mm -hmm. And it was very important to them that I knew uh, all sorts of contrary uh, uh, stories from the Bible hmm. that nobody that I knew 
could understand or relate to. <laughs> um, so, but, but growing up in that environment, that's just what I was learning. And, uh, I, I, I guess I got to go back a little bit. My parents eventually did leave that ministry, mm-hmm. um, because it kind of fell apart. The leader was exposed as a, a sexual predator, um, and other leaders were named, were exposed to sexual predators. I was named after one of them, uh, my middle name. Luckily, I don't have to go by the first name of sexual predator. Um, and my parents started their, their own home church. And it was essentially the same thing, except without the predatorial nature, uh, because there was a lot of people, there was a lot of splinter, uh, churches from this ministry. They just like scattered, you know, and then Mm -hmm. they found each other because they were like, we met here. This meant a lot to us. It was like Christian Woodstock. Um, (laughs) they had, uh, a big, they had a big concert every year called the rock of ages. And it, it was life changing for all of them. Like I still know many of these people. They're my second moms and my mom's best friends and um, people that mean a lot to me that came out of this movement that look back on it very fondly, even though they know that it was um, kind of a mastermind of, you know, somebody who was either ill intent from the beginning or um, corrupted to a extreme degree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think a lot of them would, would probably go with the latter just because the first one would really shake their ability to discern anything in life. Yeah. Um, I think they would rather the idea that, Oh, you know, he was a big target for the devil and the devil got him. The devil just got him as opposed to like, he was, this very manipulative monster that manipulated them from the beginning and used the Bible to do it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys My had parents, really, really chill experiences with religion or early in life. That's <laughs> super chill, super, <laughs> super chill. Uh, relaxing. So yeah, my, my, my parents started their, their own church kind of based on, on that similar, that similar model. Mm-hmm. And, um, my mom was also, uh, undiagnosed, undiagnosed bipolar until I was 25 before she found out she was always diagnosed as having, you know, depression and whatnot, but it was the other swing that was kind of more, um, difficult to handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it shapes us. And you, you were homeschooled. I was homeschooled. Of course I was homeschooled. Mm. Uh, my dad, you know, stockpiled ammunition and had his, his get out of town bag, you know, kind of ready to go. We moved to the woods, uh, when I was like 12 years old, you know, I, whether that was religiously motivated or not, my dad definitely wanted to get away from the city. And, you know, I can't blame him. You know, now I have those desires myself to like, yeah. oh, maybe, maybe the city isn't as awesome as I thought it was. Mm, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that it took me years to kind of be able to dig questions out of my parents to kind of find out really what shaped them to figure out, oh, that shaped me too. Right. So like, I feel like they were in this wake of this very traumatic experience and they didn't necessarily deal with it, but they kind of passed it along and they kind of, um, tried to polish it up and put a different brand on it and do this same, same thing. But it was still, it was still created by somebody that, uh, it probably needed to be burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe maybe my opinion is that all of these organized um, kind of 
man influenced, which they all have to be because who else is influencing them, kind of have to be burned down every once in a while in order to um, be refined. Yeah. Did you? But were you always believing that? Or as a kid, were you questioning? As a kid, were you questioning what they were teaching you? Yes and no. Um, There were so my parents were definitely speaking tongues, interpreting. um, You you could possess all the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and should you know? I mean, you should strive. So so, you know, in church, my parents would call on people to speak in tongues, speak in tongues, and prophesy, or just prophesy. Um, or interpret speaking tongues and interpret and that kind of thing. Um, I was never comfortable with that. I was never comfortable with people doing it, and I was definitely not comfortable being asked to do it. And I think that caused a little bit of a rift uh, between my dad and I because I think he kind of needed me to be that show pony a little bit. And because oh, yeah. I was even at a very... Um, you know, there, there's no reason a seven-year-old should resist this, but I most definitely did, and I didn't drop it. Right. Um, it it caused him to maybe, maybe just not treat. I wouldn't say he didn't treat me well because he did, but I think that I felt it, whether it was there or not, that he was just like, eh, what what an idiot. <laughs> but I felt the same about him in that, in that arena. I was like, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's relatable just as like a, a father son sort of dynamic, but also. Yeah, like, <laughs> sure. No, yeah. but, it, but even so, like whenever, like there's that added pressure, if you're like a PK and you're supposed to model something for, other people right. in like a in a faith community, that's extra pressure. It's not just like, you know, dads and sons going at it. You know, that's that's an extra added right. element. Yeah. And and I was so allergic to this um prescription relationship with what was supposed to be such an individual or how I understood it. I, I think I had a pretty clear understanding of what a relationship with God was supposed to be, but none of these prescriptions were a part of that for me. Mm. And I didn't think they needed to be prescribed to anybody else either. Mm. That's interesting. And that was like, that was your opinion like early on, like that you saw these people acting a certain way and it just didn't make sense to you, even as a, even as a kid that, that, you don't necessarily need to relate to God in this sort of way. Right. It felt it because it felt more, I felt like I could see, I felt like I had a very good sense of like people being sincere or people feeling pressured to do something or to, to, to want to feel the way that the leader was telling them they could feel. Mm-hmm. So it was almost as if they had to, it was like, fake it till you make it, you know, right. dress the part. Um, and I was, I've always been allergic to that. And I think it's because I saw the two sides of, of my parents, you know, my parents would fight like cats and dogs. And I think it's because they, they both had traumatic lives and weren't, fully able to deal with them individually. And then how, how would they have a successful coupling? It's just very challenging to do that even as healthy individuals. Mm -hmm. So as they would, you know, screaming each other on the way to church and my mom would threaten to jump out of a moving car and say, I'm, I'm not going to walk into that church and put a, and put a smile on my face today. And we would get there and we'd open the door and she would put a smile on every single time. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew, I knew that there was bullshit all around me. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something about, I think being like a, a PK that, that your, your BS detector is very finely tuned. <laughs> 
Oh, so, so much. (laughs) Because of that, because you, you see it, you, because those leaders, they expect themselves to act like that. And then you see like sort of 360 degrees in a lot of ways and other people don't. (laughs) I'm also married to a PK. So it's, (laughs) oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah, you get it. I get it. (laughs) It's, it's interesting because you see like the superstar young associate pastors that are doing everything like a main pastor would want them to do. And to me, those people are like the most unbearable people for me to be around because (laughs) it's like you are, you are literally just doing what you think you're supposed to do. And what you're, what my opinion is what, what's healthiest for you to do is to just be you Mm. not be Mm -hmm. this, this polished Mm. version of yourself that you think sense well and is uh, a better example, doesn't have vulnerabilities or even if they do have vulnerabilities that they share, they even sound fake Mm. and um, rehearsed. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, so many people that have been in church environments can relate to that, just the, the performative nature of it. So, and yeah. exactly what you said, like being faux vulnerable instead of actually vulnerable. It's, mm. it's uh, yeah, it, it happens more, far more often than, than people like to admit. Um given that you sort of saw this sort of performance that you didn't really like, you know, you saw these types of things modeled people acting in sort of a deceptive way. What sort of drew you to wanting to do something creative or, or drew you to acting or any other sort of creative pursuit? Man, I, I don't exactly know if, I know that answer right now. I know that my mom went out of her way to expose me to a lot of different activities. And one of them was a movie came into town when I was a kid and we were extras in the movie. Oh, wow. And when I was, when I was on set for this movie, I would just knew I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I want to do. (laughs) <laughs> this is like, this is it. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. And, and, and loved playing characters that weren't myself. I, and which is so weird because I think in that environment, like I knew I could pretend, but in my real life, I did not want to pretend because I wanted to just be me. I so desperately just wanted to be me. But on stage, it was an appropriate place to pretend to be someone happier, someone angrier, someone eviler, someone better. You know, I Mm. could be all the things that I saw other people maybe being um, in their everyday life. But this place was like, I was allowed to do it, which is weird is I loved, loved characters far from myself. And I still do. But now I'm kind of obsessed with trying to, be myself on screen, um, almost not more than I am in real life, but I want to expose myself on screen (laughs) in ways that make me uncomfortable to do publicly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, laudable, you know, because that's not the easiest thing to do. And, to get to a place where you're comfortable being yourself in public. Yeah. Because so much of it, so much of life is, is trying to gauge how much you should reveal yourself. So for that to be mm-hmm. where you're going now is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, I think I've, I've kind of uh, hijacked my passion and turned it into my personal therapy. <laughs> you know what? That I I think that can work. If you can make it work, then yeah. then that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So how did you two end up meeting? How did your how did your paths cross? We actually met in a play in Austin. So the secular college that I went to <laughs> after the Christian college was Texas State, which Micah happened to be an alumni of. And he was living in Austin at the time. And I would occasionally do a play in Austin over the summer. So I auditioned and he was cast in the play. And it was a very small cast. There were four people total, two characters who were like in their 40s and two characters in their 20s. And we met and, you know, spent a lot of time together in rehearsal and really got to know each other and kind of became best friends pretty quickly, had a lot in common, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, some religious background and still spiritually curious people who wanted to tell stories. Um, and very early on in our relationship, we talked about making things together. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty cool that we actually followed through with it. Totally. Good our, job. Our, our first project that we developed and have yet to make was called Meat and Carrot. <laughs> Just a little little idea about a girl named Carrot and a boy named Meat. <laughs> <laughs> you can see why we haven't made it yet. <laughs> There's something there, though. <laughs> opposites attract you know yeah Yeah. and now you have a now you have a production company and you have a um a new series as well as uh, a related podcast called backsliders um you have a a couple of uh shorts up um i don't know if i'm using the right term there um but you've got a a like it yeah a couple of episodes up on youtube um and they're they're very funny i the the first one that i uh, the first there's a trailer and then there's two full episodes and the first one is uh, I believe called panic breath is that right um, <laughs> yes it is <laughs> and it just <laughs> opens with you Micah just laying in bed sort of taking in really deep breaths and holding them um, <laughs> and Keely walking in saying oh are you thinking about death again um, and it just that it goes from there um, but what I really loved about it uh, was that it it gave me this sort of sense of I'm going to make a really nerdy analogy, and I don't know if you guys are into comics or the Marvel movies, but basically do it. So basically, when like the the re- most recent Spider-Man movies came out, um, they like skipped over the entire origin you know, because of the fact that there had already been five Spider-Man movies in the last Mm. like 12 years. So, um, so like when Tom Holland came on and was in homecoming was the name of that one, Spider-Man homecoming when he, they just glossed over it and they were just like, you know who Spider-Man is. You don't need to know this. Um, like coming to that episode, like Keely, you have a couple lines of like, oh, we used to believe this stuff. <laughs> but, um, and then it's just sort of like in the background and it felt like very relatable just in that there are plenty of people that have the sorts of experiences that, that you've had and that we, that I talk about to people on this show uh, of being, moving away from some sort of religion um, and changing your mind, you know? Uh, but like all of that was sort of in the background and then the rest was just hilarious just because it was, <laughs> it was there like on the subtext sort of. And I really appreciated that. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot to hear. So, um, in 2013, we started making things together and it, it, that was the year we also got married. So at first we were just um, um, making shorts that were based on conversations that we had in our first year. Um, that series is still on YouTube. It's called Talk. And over the last, oh gosh, it's 2020 years, we've been making projects and, and getting more and more on honest with our work. And I think that's a reflection of us getting more and more honest with each other. Because even though when we met, we had um, left our religious environments behind, uh, some of that indoctrination of 
presentation and the conditions of love still existed in, in the underbelly of our relationship, especially for me, because I walked in with a lot of, um, just a lot of work that I hadn't done on myself. I hadn't gone through therapy. I hadn't started to navigate the shame that I felt about myself, that I still felt um, towards my sexuality and sexuality in general. And um, so it took a while for me to feel completely comfortable with Micah, even though we are married. So in our work, you can kind of see us get more and more honest. Um, we made another series called Home that we filmed in 2016, um, that was about us trying to find a sense of belonging here in LA. And, um, now our project is called backsliders and we're, we're finally kind of showing this thing that we haven't ever really been that forward with in our work, which is the weird religious shit that we're still working through. And <laughs> it's, it's always there lingering and, uh, it's been really very fun for us to make because, it's been therapeutic to share with people. And even if they didn't happen to grow up Christian for them to relate with this thing that we all do as humans, which is put certain masks on with certain people. And it's been really fun for us to reveal even more of ourselves unmasked and have that resonate with people and, and also laugh about it. Mm. Yeah. I think the the title of it came from pretty much the, the fear that we had of what people would think about us. <laughs> right. That, that we've carried for a year. You know, I can't be this person that wants to be real and authentic and then not about the things that I'm super afraid to reveal about myself. So then it's just like, well, we might as well just call ourselves the thing we're worried about people calling us if we're honest <laughs> right yeah so we did yeah. <laughs> and it's been it's been pretty uh been pretty freeing yeah that's great uh, um and the the response has been surprisingly um fine i will say yeah <laughs> it's, it's just funny how like the fear of what other people think i know everybody deals with that but there's especially like this fear of what christians will think you know people that I was really close with when I was at the mega church. I, a lot of, I don't talk to all, but like one of them, she's my best friend, but why am I wondering what these people might think if they watch my YouTube video and think that I'm, I've like, I'm going to go to hell now or whatever. It's just weird how the, the fear of being judged through Christian eyes is still a part of my thought process, even though I'm so far away from it. It sounds like a band name, Christianize. Christianize. <laughs> that are one of those browser extensions that like. <laughs> That's true. I bet there is. Did, one. Did, did, did you get your full analogy of, of the comic book out? Yeah. Did we cut you off? Before oh, no, that no, no, not at all. I, you, you, totally let me ramble on more than enough to, to get that point across. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I don't mind being compared to a, a, a Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, and that feed, feedback before. Sorry. In, in a, a different way. We, uh, we've kind of gotten feedback similar to that in a different way, not like the Marvel way, but Micah and I were actors first and we're writers and directors second. So we're not making things that are like action movies filled with a lot of big plot points. It's, it's relationship based. It's very dialogue based because we film a lot in our home too. So it's really convenient, but also that's what we're fascinated with is what's going on in the room between two people who are really being present with each other. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that we do just drop people into our relationship and let them see what it's like in our house through conversations that we really have and things that we really do around each other. Um, so it's nice that that's enjoyable and that you just feel like you're in the room with us and are kind of a fly on the wall of, mm -hmm. of what's actually going on. I think it's also this practice of uh, um, also desperately not to be that couple at 60 that's like, I don't even know the person I'm with or, <laughs> or, or I, I've been, I've been 
hiding myself. I've not revealed my true self to this person that I've been married to for 30 years. And I feel like there is something from previous generations that they're like, that's just the way it is. You can't just say the truth. Like how embarrassing. (laughs) We're like, we want to do the embarrassing thing that leads to the better relationship and maybe a, a more developed self. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's great. And it, you, you can tell from your on screen presence that the two of you are very comfortable with each other. In the second episode where you're, where you're sort of doing this body dance <laughs> thing, it's very, very funny. I was laughing just all by myself, just watching it. <laughs> uh, just cause and we they, appreciate that. Yeah. We were very insecure about that. <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> To me, like whenever, whenever something can make you laugh out loud when you're alone, that means it's hilarious. <laughs> and and so, oh, wow. thank um, you. What you're making and, and what you're you're putting out in this context, even with like the name backsliders, I think the people that come from that background will get it like immediately. It'll just be it'll click, yeah. and it'll and yeah. it'll be enough for them to say or to to know that this is sort of what's going on with with these characters or what they've been through without even having to acknowledge it um mm. which is which is really cool um you've also submitted this mm. to Trebecca and it's been accepted what's given that we're all sort of stuck in our houses uh what what is that yeah. process going to be like um for it for the festival and for its submission there and everything well, obviously, the in-person festival has been postponed, understandably, because of COVID-19. So if that had happened, we would have on 420 been screening <laughs> three episodes, three unreleased episodes of Backsliders at the festival. And what they're doing for us now is there's going to be an online, um, what they're calling a creator's market that's sponsored by HBO, hmm. where we're going to be doing um, a series of Skype interviews with people who have watched our materials and are interested in the work that we do and the conversations we're trying to have. And um, even if nothing physically comes from that, it's kind of a cool opportunity for us to have general meetings with executives um, as creative people. Those, those people are nice to know. We have yeah. heard. Develop um, some relationships. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, and then after that, they'll be hosting um, those three episodes at some point on their website, um, which is just such an honor for us because mm-hmm. we're independent filmmakers. We do this because we love it. Mm-hmm. Um, we put our, our day job money into it at, you know, as I'm sure you know, it's like such a, it's something that you do because you have to. It's a, it's a real passion and um, we're just, we're thrilled that it's been accepted into a place that has a good reputation and that yeah. we have an opportunity to show what we're excited about to more eyeballs that maybe wouldn't find it organically. Yeah. And we've got more episodes coming everybody's way. We've got 13 episodes in total, so mm. they'll be dropping, they'll be dropping. Awesome. As we speak, you know, there's probably another one coming out this week and, um, cool. we're developing a, a half hour show. So we're actually hoping that this becomes something bigger. Yeah. That's another cool thing that Tribeca is doing by setting us up with these meetings is that, so our vision with this show, we, we want to be, we want to work in, in TV. Um, like HBO is our dream network. So it's cool that we're getting to be a part of an event that's sponsored by them, but we have a vision for a half hour show that's set in Texas in rural Texas where we grew up, um, where versions of our characters have to go back home and kind of get reinvolved in the faith community that they come from mm. while their beliefs have changed. Um, so that's like the vision for the big show. And we also have a podcast, which you were on, yes. which we originally wanted to do to have have more conversations like this um, because they were kind of rare, but the most exciting thing to us. So the podcast is called Backsliders. We have conversations with uh, people from all backgrounds about what they were raised to believe and where they are today. And that has made us feel less alone. Yeah. Also realize how many people are talking about this. And it's it's great research for the show. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it all kinds yeah. of, kind of blends together. Yeah, that's great. It's it's always great to 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 
make something and then sort of see it resonate in the world and then uh, have that opportunity mm. to keep having conversations or or make make the things that that you that you want to do. So that's so cool that, that you guys have this opportunity with Tribeca as well as through your podcast to to keep making the sorts of the sorts of uh, you know there's the word content is it's not a great word but like <laughs> you know what it's like the most it's the most fitting and given the world yeah. we live in now <laughs> video content <laughs> and audio content it's all encompassing yeah yeah it just means people <laughs> making things yeah so we we got tired of the term web series that we we wouldn't call our shows a web series we called them digital Digital series. Digital series. It just sounded nice. premium digital premium <laughs> digital series is how we rebranded web series. Well, it's just interesting, you know, because we're we're filmmakers, so we do put a lot of like care into what we do. So it did kind of feel like, oh, I don't want to diminish it by calling it a web series, but really, yeah, we're putting it on it's the web, web and it's a series, so that's what it is. But um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes words, you know, blog is terrible. That's, but we all use it. Yeah, now. yeah. We all use that yeah. word now. Everybody, everybody gave in to selfie. <laughs> all mm-hmm. these words, they just they just blend in eventually. <laughs> Picture of myself. <laughs> it to us, and I think maybe you can relate. Stories really are so healing, and mm-hmm. there, there's this quote that I love, that stories are medicine. And it's from this awesome book, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Stola Pinky. I don't quite know how to say her name, but that's why we do the work that we do. That's mm-hmm. that's why we have this podcast now. And that's why people like you who have a podcast where you interview so many people and we get to hear their stories of how they grew mm-hmm. up and how they processed their environments and asked questions and how that led to where they are today. We always learn and grow and 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 feel less alone when, when you hear other people share their authentic story, even if it's totally different from yours. So thanks yeah. for the work that you do as well. We were so happy to have found you. Oh, thank you. I, I'm, I'm flattered. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I'm really glad when I'm able to, to meet other people that are doing this sort of work. And I, I always think it's great when people are able to incorporate humor and other elements into this type of work, because a, a lot of times I'd, I feel like we can, and I'm speaking certainly of myself and some of the conversations that I can tend to have, they can tend to be heavy, but like with mm. the first couple episodes of Backsliders that, that are available right now as we're recording, there's another element to it, of course, which is that there's light on the other side too. Mm. So it's not like all of the things that the two of you have been talking about of being your, your natural self, being, being comfortable with yourself, like all of those things are, mm. are so valuable and things that, that we weren't necessarily taught or weren't modeled for us, but we've had to find just like so many other people before us too. It's not that like, you know, people our age are geniuses that are discovering self-discovery, but, yeah. but you know, us doing that work, like it's still the work that needs to be done. And, and it's so great that there's shows like yours that are doing that from a perspective of just being like comfortable in front of a camera and, uh, a little, you know, goofy and, and vulnerable, like all of that is great. And, and I'm really excited to see where this show goes next. Um, because, because it's a great, oh. Uh, a great thing to be out there. <laughs> oh, Man, thank you, you so much. much. It yeah, feels yeah. so good because it takes a it takes a long time to <laughs> actually make something. <laughs> and as I'm sure you know, like this project itself, we've been technically working on for two years, mm. but it's based on our lives, so a, a little longer than that. <laughs> and. It's nice to put it out there and hear, even if it was one person who's like, "Oh, that's kind of funny." It would, it would, it would still feel good because yeah. it's finished and to be able to share it and talk about it. Yeah, it's 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 funny because you you are our target audience, <laughs> and somebody told me the other day that's like this is Christian comedy, but it's not necessarily going to be popular in the Christian community. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> or maybe it would be. Or maybe it would be if people can laugh at themselves. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess we're kind of, yeah, we're like, I don't know what, what would make it Christian comedy. Well, I think we think Christian means pro-Christian. But oh, Christian just means, to me, Christian just means the topic is Christianity. Or like these characters are culturally Christian. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, so many, like within evangelicalism, it's either you're in or you're out sort of thing. But, I mean, Christianity yeah, is, a, is a global religion, right? And so right, people who are mm-hmm. Christian can comment on it. People who aren't Christians can comment on it. People who used to be can comment on it. Um, and, like, yeah, that's it's it's all fair game. And that's the whole point of comedy. The whole point of comedy is to to, like, to take away that mask, but to do it in a way that disarms someone instead of making them upset. Mm. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a comedian, but I deeply respect (laughs) people that can do it and do it well. So it's very, very cool to, to, to see this, this project and, and, uh, see where it, where it heads from here. Cause, cause I mean, it's a quarter of the U S population, right? Like a quarter of the U S population is, is evangelical and then um what percentage used to be (laughs) so right right yeah like the largest growing religion in america is the unaffiliated right so that we're out there like we're all out there yeah it's i get looking for content (laughs) i get excited every time i meet someone who's interested in any of this because i'm like oh yes i'm not alone yeah and sometimes you can feel that way just you know we're in la where not everyone has these backgrounds or these hangups or is like, and in this town isn't necessarily jumping at the opportunity to, uh, to have these conversations, to talk about religion. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it happens. There's a couple of shows out there that we've, we've enjoyed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And I think maybe I was just thinking about this as you were talking, it kind of hit me. Another thing that Micah and I have in common, obviously, is one of our parents was mentally ill. And we were in a, a an environment as kids that sometimes felt pretty chaotic. And I think we both tended to, as a coping mechanism, turn to arts and also to make light of it and mm-hmm. to laugh. Because, like, if your childhood is, is traumatic and chaotic a lot of the time and, and you don't find a way to cope with it, it can be very challenging. And for us... It was expressing ourselves through acting and through making, I I have three siblings. I was trying to make my siblings laugh or like, you know, distract from things that didn't, that didn't feel so good. And sometimes it just feels good to laugh at how weird life and your family and what you were taught to believe is. It just feels good. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's part of that first episode, right? <laughs> Feels good to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm so glad I was able to talk to both of you and and get a, just a, a small sense of of your background as well as this this project that that you've worked on and that you're you've put out into the world and you have this opportunity to showcase at Tribeca. Um, where can people find it? Where can they find the podcast and, and any other sorts of, um, places that you'd like me to point people to? Yeah. Um, so we have a YouTube channel. You can find us at youtube.com slash Bob Billiams productions. It's Bob and then Billiams like Williams, but with a B because we (laughs) thought it was, was funny and (laughs) it's always a little annoying to explain but I promise we're the only one. If you search Bob Billiams Productions, you can also still search Backsliders series or Backsliders podcast on YouTube because we put our podcast uh, interviews on YouTube as well. You can search Backsliders on any podcast platform. Um, we're also on Instagram at the Bob Billiams, and our production company website is bobbilliams.com. That's that's a lot. It's a lot of places to go. But oh, that's great. Go. search Bob Billiams. We're, we'll mm. be the only Bob Billiams. <laughs> we're the only one. <laughs> well, Micah Keeley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank ma'am. you for having us. We really appreciate it. <laughs>